Thank you. Um, for those of you who haven't had a chance to meet yet, I'm uh, Dr. John Plating, our director of the Center for... The Center... Hold it down, ghetto. Um, the Center for Calling and Career here at Covenant College. And as Chaplain Nello and I were talking, um, really, even this last summer, and envisioning this week, calling beyond Covenant, really wanting to give you guys and gals a sense of what things are like beyond graduation, and really how your calling might uh, be used by the Lord to build his kingdom. And so I hope that we're really excited about the speakers we have uh, for you today, um, Eric Brown and Taylor Jones, who both were college roommates at Lee University, which is just in Cleveland, Tennessee, not far from here. They were college roommates who graduated and really just had a heart for trying to penetrate that thing called the internet. Maybe you've heard of it before. Um, really penetrate the, the, that, that for the kingdom of God. And so I want to give them time to tell their story. Hopefully you'll be encouraged, invigorated. Um, let's, give a, let's give an applause for our two speakers today. That was terrible. Good morning. morning. Check. That'll wake you up. Check <laughs> one, two, three. Hey, how about a round of applause for these guys in the back? They do a great job helping run production. <laughs> Superb. They served us very well today. Uh, thank you, Dr. Plating, for that very kind introduction and for the invitation to come and be with this great group of students. Definitely not long ago, I was sitting in the chapel seat at Lee because I've turned 30 in about eight days, and that's terrifying. Um, having my first kid soon. My wife has decided to join us today. She's going to be really mad I'm calling her out, so we won't make her stand up. Um, but honored <laughs> to be here and share a few pieces of our story uh, with you guys today. Again, I'm Taylor. This is Eric. We co-founded a creative technology company uh, called Whiteboard. We're based here in Chattanooga, and we work with clients around the world uh, to create meaningful digital experiences. And all this can start to sound really fancy, but when we were in college, it didn't sound near uh, like that. So we're going to talk a little bit today about our story, a journey of both uh, faith and friendship, uh, and then about a key lesson uh, that we've learned along the way that we believe might be beneficial to you guys as you're going on uh, in your journey. Uh, as Dr. Plating said, Eric and I graduated from Lee. Um, during my first junior year, first junior year, most people say they had two senior years. I like to say I had two junior years, sounds a little better, uh, on the backside. I was really struggling with this idea of calling and what did it mean and grew up in church and heard of calling and I'm like, man, what is this calling thing? And you start struggling with the idea not only of what am I called to do or am I called to do or has God just kind of forgotten about me entirely or it's calling sort of this universal kind of mandate that I'm supposed to go and try to be wise and figure out uh, what to do. So. I remember many of my friends at the time were struggling with this idea, and I had this really fantastic roommate. So Eric and I were sweet mates. There were four of us together, and the guy that I actually shared a room with. Um, yep. So this was me and Eric <laughs> in college, and I can't believe he put this photo in the deck. But this was my roommate on the far right, and he had this amazingly devout devotional life. This guy went to bed at 9. His name is PJ. He got up super early to pray and read was always trying to seek God for his calling, and like, that was not me, okay? I'll just own up to that in the front. Uh, the disciplined life was not really for me. I would work really late. I loved working on stuff. I'd sleep in until I felt rested, didn't feel the discipleship part really coming together. But during my uh, first junior year, as I said, I'm really trying to figure out, God, like, what have you called me to do? 
Um, and so I did the only thing that I really knew to do, because I'm sort of looking down the barrel at graduation and saying, all right, I gotta figure out what I'm gonna do with my life. Uh, and so I went to a chapel on campus and I was like, maybe if I just like open the Bible and I read and I pray, and maybe I do this like, I don't know, a hundred times, that God will reveal a calling to me. Because all these people around me are saying, I feel called to be a pastor or a missionary or to make this exceptionally sacrificial journey. And I wasn't feeling those, those tuggings, those heartstrings. I liked business. I liked working hard. I liked to make money. I liked all the things that came along with that. I grew up in a, a family of small business owners and that was what I liked. And I grew up in church, but I did not feel called to ministry. And so I'm wrestling with, all right, God is, is calling about this really sacrificial sort of passing on of the things that you want or the things that you love and moving into something uh, that feels much more sacrificial. Um, so, sorry, checking back on my notes here. Um, I'm in this chapel room and I open the Bible and I land somewhere around Psalm 37 and I'm reading. Um, I remember clear as day coming across Psalm 37.4. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And so again, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. I'd heard this passage preached numerous times about basically if you live righteously, you're going to get all the cars and boats and houses that you want. And I, was, I never really agreed with that. I was like, that seems ludicrous. Um, and so I'm in this chapel and I, I felt God like thump me on the ear. Like there are very few moments in my life where I feel like God really told me something. And this one, I, I kind of felt like a, a, a kick. And so I, he was like, read that again. So delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Read it again. Delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Um, so at that moment, I actually felt like God was trying to tell me something about calling. Um, I felt like he was telling me not to be afraid of going after the thing that my heart longed for, which at the time was business. I felt in that moment that God was telling me if I lived close to him, that he would actually adjust the desires of my heart so that pursuing them would bring me in line with his will. So instead of having to put aside this deep longing that I felt, that he would actually use, if I was, if I was close to him, he would use the desires of my heart uh, to create that direction. And so I walked out of the chapel confident that business it was, and I no longer felt any guilt that I didn't feel called in that time to be in pastoral ministry or on the missions field. Uh, so it also happens during this time that Eric, myself, two other friends shared a suite in our dorm. You've already shown the picture. Uh, for the sake of time, I can't tell the whole story, but I can tell you that our roommatehood led to a very deep friendship. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Led to a very deep friendship. Eric and I were both highly motivated, full of energy. We shared a passion for design and the internet. Uh, we found ourselves often working late into the night, building websites for ministries on campus or friends that we had or whatever it may be. Um, not trying to get paid, didn't really care. We just really loved what we did. So we talked at length about what it would be like to spend our lives working together in creativity and technology. This was usually when we were procrastinating, putting off studying for an exam. 100%. Say what? 100%. We can talk later about who was the worst procrastinator. That's but, true. Um, so these conversations took many forms. We had a great group of friends in college. This was one of the great benefits. Um, we were all creative and we kind of roped them into some of the work we were doing. We'd helped re-engineer chapel service. We again worked with ministries, all kinds of things. We just took on way more than we could possibly uh, hope to achieve. And so we had this thought that, man, we really want to keep our friends together after graduation. And we all know student loans kick in about six months after you walk out the door. And so I said to Eric, I think the only way we can keep our friends is if we can pay them some money because that's what everybody's going to need when their student loans kick in. So we were like, how do we do that? And, and for us, um, the idea was let's start an agency 
adjacent to our career job. So I changed my major four times at this point. Mm -hmm. Started in IT, went to business, took a sprint through pre-med and ended up in accounting. How about that? <laughs> yes. So I got a degree in accounting. I found something I felt like I was actually good at that seemed to have a promising career path. My dad had been a CPA before he went into uh, some real estate and I was like, all right, this seems like a great path. So I went to work as a controller for an IT company that I had worked for off and on, a small company down in Georgia. Uh, Eric went off into nonprofit land working for a group called Q Ideas, and we were like, let's start an agency, make some money on the side, do work with these ministries that we care about, uh, and ultimately try to keep our friends together. So, enter Whiteboard. So Whiteboard is a creative technology company uh, based here in Chattanooga. We actually moved our fam families from Atlanta to Chattanooga uh, almost seven years ago, which is pretty crazy. Uh, Taylor and I, we started Whiteboard from two in a kitchen table and now actually lead a team of 25 uh, in downtown Chattanooga in the innovation district. Um, the scope of that work is, is, is immense and broad. Um, it's people who believe in the common good ultimately and that's kind of the central DNA of the kinds of people we work with. Uh, for some people, they believe it, that memories matter. Which this organization, South Tree, they're also in Chattanooga. We've watched them go from floor employees to over 100 uh, to preserve uh, priceless family memories throughout the nation. They actually preserve over 5,000 uh, home movies a day. Uh, it's waging peace. It's people who believe in waging peace in the Middle East, which this is an organization, Preemptive Love, led by Jeremy Courtney, who him and his wife and his two kids literally live in Iraq, and, they're, and this organization is typically on the front lines of, of, of responses happening in Aleppo and Mosul and, and places that have been uh, kept by ISIS and are currently getting ran out by the rebels. Um, uh, it's helping those in need through a text message or they believe faith is work, which is the Institute of Faith, Work, and Economics. They believe innovative, innovative athletic apparel should actually invade the healthcare industry through not only uh, comfortable form-fitting scrubs, but uh, antimicrobial as well. They believe in creating spaces to learn. They believe in asking hard questions. They believe in ending poverty. They believe in finding community. They believe in stronger families and better fathers. They believe in the next generation of leaders. They believe refugees should be welcomed, which is this Mad Priest Coffee, a new coffee roaster here in Chattanooga. Uh, they believe that coffee brings bring people together and that education should be reimagined. They believe in health and experiences that transform. They believe in caring for the orphan and freedom and believing in your story. And I think all of these various expressions of belief are actually in some form or detail heaven coming to earth. So a question for today is, who and what do you believe in? So I did not grow up believing in Santa Claus. Instead, my parents chose me to read a children's book on the actual Saint Nicholas. His secret gift giving, his perseverance in an era of religious persecution, a patron saint who lived and died. Not information you want a child in preschool to comprehend. Nevertheless, the hard, I learned the hard way. I'll never forget the day I was escorted to the car after school by my teacher. 
Mrs. Brown, we had a problem today, she said to my mom. Eric informed the entire class that Santa Claus is dead. You can probably imagine how this scenario unfolded. My four and five-year-old classmates asking one another, what are you getting from Santa Claus this year? It was an injustice that they did not know the truth. I stood and yelled, everybody, Santa Claus is dead. Etched in my memory is an almost exact copy of the scene in Kindergarten Cop. When Arnold Schwarzenegger yells, shut up, to all the children, I was baffled why the entire class just, just bursted into tears in that moment. <laughs> it was the perfect parallel. As a child, belief in someone or something takes practice. The ever-present challenge to use your imagination requires learning. When achieved, the universe is at our fingertips. TPs, animal rescues, ocean explorations, amusement parks, professional sports, every day these worlds came to life uh, for me as a child in my backyard. Somewhere in life, we lose the wonder. As adults, we protect the imagination of our children, but we lose the enchantment for ourselves. Use your imagination becomes lost to the 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Mystery is replaced with routine. The moment belief fades, their cynicism and pessimism awaits. A grand universe contained inside a box. Working in the creative industry, I've come to learn that belief isn't a commodity. It's a skill. Big dreams and ideas are brought to my attention every day. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things. The truth is, trust, faith, and confidence in someone or something takes practice. It's a maze that requires trying different pathways, but trusting in the end result. Muhammad Ali famously said, it's the repetition of affirmation that leads to belief. And once that belief becomes a deep conviction, things begin to happen. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works. So what and who do you believe in? There's no question that our belief systems result in the world we live in. Our history books document endless examples of this fact. Whether small, misaligned, or forgotten, your beliefs permeate the world in front of you. Your beliefs make the world. So it was about two years ago, Eric, myself, and a few others from our team we're on the phone with a big uh, creative strategy agency who was working with a DC-based organization focused on uh, education reform. But for us, this was a huge opportunity because this strategy firm had brokered some major Fortune 100 strategies. Um, they were super influential, and they were vetting us to be the digital agency to come alongside and support this initiative in education reform. Um, their mission is basically to, to change education to be learner-centered instead of uh, sort of the traditional, more industrial era uh, education system that we have now. So as we were nearing the end of the call in our pitch, and I thought we had like, we had done a great job. It was, it was one of those moments where we sort of felt on our game. Uh, one of the leaders from the strategy agency throws this question. He says, so, we have only one concern with you guys. It's apparent that a majority of your portfolio is faith-based work. And we're concerned that you, one, won't be able to prevent your faith from bleeding into this work and the relationship, and two, that you won't be able to do great work for an organization that is not faith-based. We need to know that you guys can separate your faith from your work. That was tough. So here we are on the phone. I've got several people from our team. We've got these really influential people, and I'm like, I have to say something. 
and I was terrified, didn't know what was going to happen. Um, we'd never been challenged on our faith before, and we had done work with non-faith-based organizations, actually quite a bit of that kind of work. Um, it was a large opportunity, as I said. So I thought for a few seconds, clock was kind of ticking, and it came to me, I think providentially. Um, I said, well, I've grown up in a faith-centered life for as long as I can remember, and ultimately my faith is what led me down the path of starting Whiteboard, because we believe we're made to be creative by the great creator himself. I've spent my entire life believing in something much larger than me, and believing that there's a common good to be sought out that was organized by the great creator. So as a person of faith, I've developed, as has many of the people on our team who are also of faith, a deep-rooted skill of belief. It's a skill that I'm not sure people who don't come from a faith background can adequately possess. I am fundamentally wired to find the deepest meaning and purpose in things, the heart of the mission and why it matters to the world. So as people of faith, I believe we have a competitive advantage over those who are not of faith. And I'm confident you won't work with another agency more capable of believing in what you're trying to accomplish. Phone goes silent. This guy looks at me, <laughs> mouth dropped, eyes wide open like, bro, where did that come from? <laughs> and I remember in this moment that for whatever reason, I had never felt a more clear expression of why we existed. And as an agency, we really work for the mission of others. You know, I, we say that our mission is to design the world that ought to be. And what that usually looks like is all the belief statements that Eric put up here on the other slides. These are the people that we really work with every day. And when we started this agency, it's important to note that we never had those kind of aspirations. We were two guys literally working at a kitchen table on the weekends who just wanted to do really good digital web work for people that we thought were trying to make a difference. That was all we knew. We never intended to turn it into a career. We never intended for it to be our primary income. So we never, we didn't take any funding, we didn't take any loans, and now we have 25 employees and we are completely self-sustained. There's definite providence in that. So back to this phone call. So phone goes silent. The leader on the phone spoke up and said something basically like this. I'm not sure we've ever heard anything quite like that. It's clear to us that you are the team we need to work with. Thanks for your time today and we'll follow up with you soon. And I think as Christians of faith, that is fundamentally our calling. Your belief is a skill, and it's a unique skill that you possess to go out of here and to go into the world and to find the things that matter, to find the things that God has ordained and to seek after them. As the nations gather together and the peoples assemble, which of their gods foretold this and proclaimed us to the former things? Let them bring in their witnesses to prove that they were right so that others may hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no good was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior. And that's from Isaiah. Your belief is not a commodity, it's a skill. May you be witnesses in your belief and make the world that ought to be. You are called, you are not employed. I think that's what makes us different. I think that as people of faith, that's our differentiator. And everywhere you go, and every person that you encounter, you are called to be restorative and redemptive by the Creator. 
To me, that doesn't always mean that it looks like a clear articulate calling or a burning bush or some other loud shaking voice from God. I don't, I don't think that God always moves like that. I think sometimes he provides opportunities for us. And it's ultimately our job to be close to him so that when we walk into those moments that we are providentially inspired to say the right things. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. Father, I pray over every single person in this room, God, as you stir things in their hearts over the next several weeks, the next several months, or the next several years about what you've called them to do. I pray, Father, that whatever the expression is, that they find heaven on earth in that expression. I pray for your voice to be loud in their hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God.